there are some laws on the books that might strike you a bit odd. For instance, in California, do you know that it is still technically illegal for persons to hunt game from a moving vehicle? So if you see someone hunting your neighborhood cat from their car, that's illegal. Can't do that. Unless, of course, the game they're hunting is a whale. So if you're at the beach, you're out of luck. They're, they're perfectly within their rights to do that. Here's another one that's kind of strange. It's illegal for a woman to drive a vehicle in a house coat. I, 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 same thing. I don't even know what a house coat is, I guess. I'm not, a little uncertain about what that's supposed to look like. But just so you know, ladies, it's illegal. In L.A., Los Angeles, California, it is illegal to get this, to, to wash your neighbor's car without their permission. So don't do that. That's not in South Orange County, though, so you're freely welcome to wash my car without my permission any day. One of you guys keeps on picking up my windshield wipers. Like, in the, like late o'clock on Sunday when I'm leaving church, I'll see my windshield wipers up. I, I'm, I got my eyes peeled. I'm looking. Whoever you are, I will find you, and I will kill you. <laughs> in Eureka, California, it is illegal for men with mustaches to kiss a woman. So if you're ever in Eureka... Gentlemen with mustaches, um, don't do that. <laughs> it's illegal for a Californian to ride, to ride their bicycle through a public swimming pool. So, <laughs> so if you're ever tempted, just know this is fully illegal. Last one. In Blythe, California, it is illegal to wear cowboy boots unless you own two or more cows. Can't be a cowboy without cows. Thus, you can't wear cowboy boots without two or more cows in Blythe, California. Well, as silly as some of these laws are, you should, in some part of your body, some part of your makeup, say, you know what, this is a good thing for us. Law is a good thing. Authority is a good thing for us. Government's authority is a good thing for us. Because imagine if you're at the public swimming pool and some dude is riding his bike in the middle of it. <laughs> that could be terrible. Well, all that to say, it's kind of a joke, of course, but those real laws represent a real government that is supposed to do real good for us. And that's what we, we should celebrate. In fact, as we close out our series on Boss, I saved the, the, this last one because this is kind of the hardest one to wrap our minds around, especially when we look all around us and we see some of the difficult governments that, that people struggle with. You know, you got North Korea that's still in operation and that weirdo that's at the head of that country. You've got a lot of bad governments that you can look at. You can even look at some of our own governments. I know some of you guys have seen the police shootings and the violence that, that's propagated. And you can even hear people say that there's systemic racism that's still fully visible if you're just willing to see it and get woke. There's a lot of things about our government and the way that we live today that's a little confusing. In fact, it's debilitating as a Christian to say, well, what am I supposed to do with that? Should I, should I upend the government? Should I just say, no, anarchy, I'm going to do whatever I want to do? Or should we do something else? I think the Bible has the answer for us. And not that it's, it's easy to apply, but it is easy to understand. So with me, please turn to Romans chapter 13 as we work our way through seven verses that speak to us exactly where we are today. As young people, as, as people who are just about to turn 18 and then can vote, as people who live as part of a community, this is for us. Paul is writing to the Roman church, and he hasn't met them yet by this point, but he's telling them from a distance, I know what you're going through, but here's how you should respond to the government that you're currently under. We'll look at the first verse together, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That's his foundation, that's his conclusion, and he builds it this way. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 
So that's it. That's, that's his, that's his starting place. And that's the place that you and I have to start. Let's first understand here several, several things that I want to point to your attention. Verse one, he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now you might realize that that word is the exact same word we've covered the last four weeks, five weeks, four weeks. The last several weeks, we've worked together. It's been that same word, subject. Um, and you might remember the word be, beneath that in, in Greek is hupotasso. Let me give you a quick Greek lesson. Hupa is a word that means under. Tasso, no, let me just do it your way. Hupo, tasso. Hupo, under. Tasso, appointed. Uh, so you are appointed under something. To hupotasso is to put something underneath another thing. And so Paul is saying hupotasso underneath the hupotasso uh, to the governing authorities. You are to be putting yourselves under those who are in your governing positions. And then he says the reason why, the reason why is that there is no authority except from God. Now that's another interesting phrase, isn't it? The authorities, the governing authorities are really finding their, their source, their singular source from God himself. And in case it wasn't clear, look at the next few verses there. Look at the next half of the verse. Those that exist have been instituted by God. So it's not like God is just passively putting things together. He is actively involved in positioning every single authority in our land. In fact, let me give you another, another Greek word here. Um, this word was, which, which word is that? Hupotasso. This word right here, this is interesting, is tasso. So Paul is saying hupotasso to the governing authorities because they have been tassoed by God. They've been appointed there because God has put them there. Tasso by God. Therefore, hupotasso, the governing authorities. And by the way, at this point in time, the emperor in Rome was Claudius. He had an edict where he, he wrote in AD 49 where he said, if you're a Jew, leave Rome. We don't want you here. In fact, that's where Priscilla and Aquila come into play in Acts chapter 16, 15 thereabouts. They came from Rome because of Claudius saying every Jew has to leave this place. Jew, uh, Jewish person who's a Christian doesn't matter. If you're a Jew, get out of my, get out of my city. And so they migrate over to where Paul is. But that, that's what's going on here. Paul is saying, I know the government you're under. And yet God has called you to hupotasso them because God has tossoed them in, the, in that place. Even Claudius? Yes, even Claudius. Even Trump? Yes, even Trump. Even Pol Pot? Yes, even Pol Pot. Insert any person you want to put there. I think this verse is making it abundantly clear that we're called to hupotasso because God has tossed to every single governing authority. Point number one, you need to see all of government authority is God's authority. God is the one who's instituting. God is the one who's behind it. God is the one who is making it abundantly clear. This is my person. Like him or not. And often we don't like him. Let's be honest. I loved when I would go to class and there was a substitute teacher there. It's one of my best, like one of my, I knew that was going to be one of my favorite periods of the day. You walk in there, there's some dude or some gal who's like, all right, let's watch a movie, just do some busy work. I catch up on my homework. I might take a nap if they were permissive. I would do a lot of things when substitutes came along and it was great, except for those subs that come with a vengeance. Like they're there and they know what school's about and they don't let any goofiness get away, right? They're calling everything out. And one of the worst phrases that those substitutes ever uttered is, your teacher wanted me to have you do this. It's like, man, there goes my period. I thought I had a break, and now I can't because this sub who represents my teacher is making me do this whatever work that I'm supposed to do. Well, it's very similar. God has put governing authorities in his place. He's not here ruling and reigning. That day will come. Jesus will rule and reign through all creation. But right now, who do we got? We got the mayor, we got the governor, we got the president, we got the vice president. We've got all these governing officials who God has put in his place to exercise his authority. 
So all authority really is God's authority. So here's how I want you to look at it. First and foremost, all power belongs to God. And that's where Paul, uh, well, he doesn't start there, but he says this. He supports his rationale by saying, there is no authority except from God. There is no authority except from God. Psalm 62.11, jot this down. In fact, I might even, I think I have that for you. Yes. No. Just kidding. <sighs> okay. Pretend you didn't see that. Exactly. Thank you. All power belongs to God. Psalm 62, 11. Once God has spoken twice, I have heard this, that power belongs to him. Which is to say, all power originates from God himself. He is the all-powerful one. The fact that you are animated, the fact that you have eyes to see and ears to hear is because God is empowering you right this very moment. You derive your power from him. Nothing exists apart from him. And that means that the most simplest way, that we are alive because God wills it, but even more than that, all uh, authority exists because God desires it. That's a powerful thought. God desires authority. God is okay with hierarchy. God wants those things there because, well, there's a lot of reasons because, but let's continue the thought here. Remember when Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate said, hey, I have the power to release you. I have the power to kill you. And what did Jesus say? He said this, quote, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. That's John 19, 11. Essentially, Jesus admits, I'm standing before you because my father wills it. I'm standing before you, not bargaining for my life. I'm letting my life be stolen from me because God the Father has put you there. And Pilate was, was no, certainly no man who was upright. He wasn't someone that we should emulate. Pilate was awful. And yet here he is and Jesus confesses, you're here because God wants you here. You're here because God wants you here. Romans eleven thirty six. Paul also says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let me give you the Pastor Ron's translation. All y'all depend on all God is. Everything that you will ever be is for him. It's from him. We exist because God exists. We do what we do because God wills us to do it. And that means that we have every fiber of our being dependent, fully dependent upon all that God is because all power belongs to him. He issues it as he wills. And one day God's going to withdraw his power to animate your body by just doing this. Well, maybe he won't snap his fingers. He doesn't have hands. But he, in his mind, he'll think it's time for Cameron to die. Sorry, I just saw your face. It just came into my... <laughs> At some point, God's going to say that from my life. It's time for Rod to die. It's time for... And he's going to withdraw his power that sustains us and let us die. It's fully within his right. It's fully within his realm. All power belongs to God, which is why it's important that we recognize then the second part is that all government is his government. That's what he says here. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Remember, tossed. God has tossed the government. He's put it there. He's appointed it, which tells us this. Think about this. If God has appointed government, if God is the one who tossed the government, what does that mean? It means, and get this, government is inherently good. That's a scary thought. That means God designing something and saying, I'm going to put this in place, means it's inherently good. Whether or not we might think it's a good thing for us. God has designed it, therefore it's good. It's a moral good. 
I think that might be a challenge to believe unless you understood God's absolute power. So point A, the whole power belonging to God. Then you can say, okay, if God has all power and then that means God institutes all governments, then that must mean that God is in control of even the governing officials. And you'd be absolutely right. Take a look at this. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 28 through uh, chapter 45, verse 1. He's talking about King Cyrus, who would show up on the scene 150 years later. He says, Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose. I wonder if Cyrus ever woke up in the morning and said, man, I just kind of want to do God's will today. I mean, he probably did not. He's the king of uh, uh, Persia. He has no, he has no connection with the, with the, with the God of Israel, except that he feels a desire suddenly, almost out of nowhere, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple. He's my purpose, uh, he's my shepherd. He shall fulfill all my purpose, God says. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him, and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. Do you hear what he's saying here? Isaiah is saying 150 years from this moment that he writes this, there's going to be a king, and that king's going to be prosperous, he's going to conquer people, he's going to take over lands, and then he's also going to say, I want to rebuild Jerusalem. God is orchestrating the most intimate thoughts that King Cyrus would have 150 years before he showed up on the scene. Not only that, take a look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. Daniel 2 says, God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Daniel 4.25 says, The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. This is a, a very helpful and, and encouraging aspect of understanding how God rules humanity. You and I can look at the human kings and the rulers of the earth and say, this guy's bad, that woman's bad, this dude's bad, and that might be true. It might be true. They might be morally corrupt. They might be underhanded. But what we're seeing here in scripture, guys, is a very hard, but something very powerful that you need to understand. All authority is put there by God. He controls them. They may not think so. They may exercise a lot of terrible things. But we have to always understand that the authorities that exist are put there by God and God controls them absolutely. There's no way that they can do anything outside of God's allowance. By the way, government, when it's not there, is dangerous to humanity. You're reading the book of Judges right now if you're working through the DBR with us and you're beginning to see cracks and fissures in the foundation of Israel's moral life. You'll read at the end of the book. In fact, you read several times throughout the book of Judges that there's a repeated lyric. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And as you read through the book of Judges, you'll get to see front and center what it looks like when man shoves off God's authorities and says, I want to do what I want to do. I think this is right and God is wrong. In fact, there's a name for that. There's a name that comes from two, two, uh, two words, anarchy. We get a prefix to anarchy. What does an mean? Without. Archie, archie is chief or ruler. Without chief or ruler. Those two together, that's where you get anarchy from. And that's the, that's the compromise. You throw off restraint, you throw off God's law, you have anarchy. And when you have anarchy, you have people choosing for themselves whatever they want to do. And can you imagine how bad that would be if everyone in this room suddenly decided, today I'm going to stop obeying the law. I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. I'm going to honor God the way I want to honor God. I'm going to run that red light. I'm going to punch that kid in the face. I'm going to, you know, cut that cat's head off. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That would be anarchy. Which is to say, young people, that all authority belongs to God, and this is a good thing for us. 
Which means, let's bring it down to our, our neck of the woods right now. So you guys are thinking, okay, I don't really drive yet. I've, a couple of you have your licenses, but most of you still are not driving. Uh, I don't see really ways that I can break the law. I mean, there's, there's, there's things all over the place that make it clear that God wants you to obey his law, like the curfew. I don't know what the curfew is today, but I'm sure it's still out there. And I think that's a good thing for us. Jaywalking. Jaywalking. Is jaywalking wrong? Well, if the government says, here's the law that we want you to follow, yeah, then jaywalking would be wrong be wrong in all cases at all times that might be a different story but the, the point is jaywalking would be wrong littering i hate when i see littering i saw this guy on, on, a, on a youtube video um you know they have those dash cams right this guy throws his trash out in his car um, i couldn't see the person in the, in the driver's seat but the guy who has the dash cam in his car he gets out of his car picks up the trash and knocks on the guy's window the guy rolls it down he throws it back in <laughs> goes back in his car it's funny i felt justice when i saw that like yes i don't like littering littering is wrong too and all these things here are, are, are put there for our good. And here's the thing. When we say no to those things, it's as if we're saying, God, no to you. I don't want what you, what you want. I don't care what you want me to do. So important that you understand all power belongs to God. All government is God's government. And therefore, no one is exempt from submission to those, to those authorities. And that's why he says, 13, chapter 13, verse 1, let every person be subject, be hupotasso to the governing authorities. Every person, all of us, none of us are exempt except oof the exceptions okay i'm going to offer a major exception and i brought it up before but i'm going to bring it up again because it's pertinent to this discussion and if you have follow-up questions you can ask them next week at the question tough question series you are obliged to obey the government until it directly violates god's law so if the government said um hi we're the third reich we'd like for you to tell us where the jews live so we can kill them murder them rather you are not obliged by god's law to obey the third reich in fact you would be immoral and to be sin to obey the third reich you should misdirect them you should lie to them because in that case it's no longer lying for the sake of lying it's a, there's a there's a quality about that request that is in unjust and immoral and so you're no under no obligation to to respond to that I know that's going to bring up a lot of questions in your minds about a lot of specific situations. Well, let me just say, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, it is better for us to obey God rather than men. I put it actually softer than how it's stated. We must obey God rather than men. You must obey the law until the law disregards God and disrespects God and, and, and dishonors God by saying, here's what we're going to do. Now that gets tricky, right? That gets tricky. Let me give you just a sense of how difficult this is. We're required to pay taxes. I'm going to talk about this later on in the, in the sermon here. We're required to pay taxes. But the government also has a stipulation where they could say, we want to give billions and millions of dollars at the very least to Planned Parenthood, who makes a profit off of murdering babies. Wow. Okay. Are we supposed to pay taxes then if my tax dollars are being used to murder babies? I think the short answer is yes that a lot of Christians come to different answers on that, and I, I think that that's a fair conversation to have. But we obey the government insofar as it does not disobey God. There are times when God shows in the Bible how disobedience to the law is a good thing. For instance, Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 20, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who say, I'm not going to bow down to your golden image, and what happens to them? They get thrown into the fiery furnace, and God protects them. He commends them for their disobedience because they did not do what the law demanded. In that case, God said that was a good thing. You might remember in Egypt, the Pharaoh said to the Hebrew midwives, I want you to kill the baby boys. The Hebrew midwives said, no thanks, we're not going to do that. And what did they do to the Pharaoh? They lied to him. They said, no, the women, they birth too quickly. They're so vigorous in their, in their birthing. We can't get to them in time. We can't kill them in time. 
and God blessed them. He gave them kids. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is, uh, Daniel is called to not pray. And what does Daniel do in chapter 6, verse 10? When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, that is the edict not to pray, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel rejected the law of the land in order to honor the law of God. So there are times in your life and perhaps even in your lifetime where you're going to be called to make a difficult decision. You will be called either to obey God or to obey man. And let me just point out and make it abundantly clear. If it calls, if it comes to that for us, we are called to be obedient in the face of any opposition. Sometimes, yeah, Christians run, and that's not always a bad thing. But it might be that God calls you, if you're going to remain a Christian, to suffer some kind of persecution that is real and tangible, like imprisonment. I don't doubt for one second that if I keep preaching, someday someone's going to get a a hold of my recordings and say, Pastor Rod's a bigot, he's a hater, I need to put him and Pastor Mike and Pastor Lucas and all these guys in jail because they're preaching against something that's so obviously right and good. You guys ask questions all the time about sexuality and homosexuality and asexuality. I just know it's a big button, right? It's a big hot button topic. And I'm, I'm guessing if we're going to be faithful to God's word, it's going to cost us something. I don't, I don't know what that is, but I'm ready. I hope. I shouldn't say that so loud. I hope I'm ready. By God's grace, I will be ready. But that means, as you see here, when Daniel prayed, contrary, contrary to the government, he, he didn't say, well, I'm just going to avoid any any potential punishment that the government offers, he went forward. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they went to the, the fiery furnace. They didn't fight that. They didn't say, this is unjust. We shouldn't have to bow down. They went, and they suffered. And that might be where God calls you, young person, because God has put our authorities in place for better and for worse, the just and the unjust. And that means you and I might be in jail together someday. I hope we'd respond like Paul and Silas instead of saying, man, this is terrible, singing in prison, saying we're, gra- we're glad that God is using us to honor his name. We can do that because all power belongs to God. All government is God's government, and none are exempt from submission. Let's take a look at the next few verses here. This next section is a, is a difficult one because of how it's presented, the, the tone of it. I, as we read these verses, I want you not to just hear them with your ears and see them with your eyes, but I want you to feel, I think, what Paul is going for here. Therefore, verse 2, whoever resists the, the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. That is, if you're doing good things, they're not trying to punish you for doing good. But to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority, or would you not want to have fear? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is, that is the governing authorities, he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's a big phrase. We're going to unpack that. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. I don't know how you read that, but I I tell you, as I read through that, what I felt was not like, oh, this is encouraging for me. It's like, oh man, be afraid, be very afraid because God put the government there and the government has the authority to punish you and hurt you and they act on behalf of God. Point number two, you need to fear the consequences of breaking the law. 
fear the consequences. There are real ramifications to not doing what the government tells you to do. And I think that's Paul's driving point. God is gracious because what he does is give us both sticks and carrots. The carrot and the stick. You've heard this analogy before? Like when you try to encourage someone, you give them a benefit, that's the carrot at the end of the stick. Um, like if you're a donkey, well, when you're riding a burrow, when I was a kid, I used to ride burrows. I used to carry a, st- I'm kidding, I didn't do that. <laughs> I used to carry a stick, the carrot at the end of it, and then you lead the donkey because the donkey wants the carrot. The carrot is delightful. The carrot is enjoyable. The carrot is something he wants to have. But sometimes even the carrot won't get the donkey moving. So what do you do with that same stick? You whack him. <laughs> that donkey needs to feel pain. He needs to know that there are consequences to doing bad and there are rewards to doing good. God is treating us a lot like donkeys right now and saying, here are the benefits of doing good. Here are the consequences for doing bad. Please be obedient. So we should fear the consequences of breaking the law because first and foremost, I think he makes it clear here, they are God's servants. The carrot is that they're here to serve God. They are acting on God's behalf. I said it like this. We vote, but God chooses who to, who to put in office. You, you may vote. Sometime soon, you guys will be given the opportunity when you're 18 to vote in the next election. That scares me a little bit, but that's a good thing that you should exercise. You should exercise that. But when we do that, we have to recognize that even if we and we, everyone else said, hey, we all want this, God is the one who ultimately decides who he puts in office because they serve him, which means they report to him. All the authorities, whether or not they know it, are subject to God. They are accountable to him, which is one reason why they, he says in verse 6, for because of this, you also pay, what's that word? It's a word we all hate. Taxes. How many of you have gotten your first job and have gotten your first real paycheck with real taxes taken out? Okay, about less than a quarter of you. Okay, great. The rest of you, you wait to see. It's coming. You'll see the several hours of sweat and backbreaking labor you put in for your $12.50 an hour. And then you start adding up, okay, I worked 17 hours this week, 1250, 1250, I don't know why I say it's weird like that, 1250 times 17, okay, so I should be getting this much money. And then you look at your check and your heart sinks because you don't get that much money. <laughs> There's a lot of money taken out of your check because of the government. And in fact, here's a, here, if you're filing your, your taxes, which is coming up in a couple days, uh, federally speaking, this is not state, this is just federal, more or less your tax rate can be in the 10% all the way up to the 37% range, depending on how much you make and what your marital status is and what exemptions you, you, you contribute or what exemptions you submit. In fact, in my old job, this is what I did all, almost all day. I would talk to different people, different employers about tax rates and in, installing certain tax rates. And if you're making over six figures, you need to have this kind of thing going on. I got to play with this stuff all the time. And what it was so amazing to see, like when I, when I see some, uh, the company I worked for did payroll for some major corporations and people that you would know. And I'd look at their checks and I'd be like, man, look at all of that money going to the IRS. Um, this... This is accurate. There's a lot of money that you pay that goes to the IRS, to our government, both local. If you're in like East Coast, East Coast has states. They have federal taxes, state taxes, and then get this, local taxes. So like your city charges you taxes. Your municipality charges you taxes. It just gets crazy. There's a lot of taxes that a lot of us pay. But here's the thing. The Bible is saying this is the reason you pay taxes, to support the the servants of God. They're acting on our behalf. They're, They're serving him for our good. 
Disregarding God's servants has consequences. Evading the taxes has consequences. So we should first understand that they're they're God's servants. Speaking of the consequences, God will judge the offender. We should fear the consequences because it is God himself who's pursuing the offender. God is the one who's saying, be afraid, be very afraid, because I'm coming after you if you're not doing what you're supposed to do. I couldn't find a stick, so I put fists there. You know, I put the, boom, boom. God uses the government to restrain evil. And get this, did you see in verse and, and, and verse 4? Look at specifically verse 4. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the what in vain? He does not bear the sword in vain. What is a sword used for? The sword, by and large, in Scripture, is an instrument of death. Some people would argue, well, it's just for defense, it's offense, they have the power to control, and that's true. All of those things are true. But largely what you see here is that Scripture points to the sword as being something that is an instrument of death. Which is to say, I think this is a great text that proves to us that God has instituted a government that has the authority to take your life if necessary. In fact, this is not a new concept in Scripture. Look at Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. Genesis 9, verses 5 and 6. Now, just for, for sake of those who are potentially new, where is Genesis in the Bible? very beginning. That's right. So this is the early, early book in the Bible. Genesis chapter nine, Noah gets off the boat. God says this, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it. And from man for his fellow man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. Cliff notes, If you take someone's life, if you murder someone, the government has the power to kill you. I'm making a distinction there. You see what I did there? If you murder someone, there's an ethical, there's a moral quality, that murder. You you kill, you take someone's life who's innocent, the government has the power to kill you, to take your life. That's what's happening here in Genesis chapter 9. Which, by the way, just just so we're all clear here, when when we use the word murder, again, moral quality. We're saying that something is inherently wrong. Innocent person whose life has been stolen by another person. Killing is different. And I think the Bible gives us room to make a distinction because he's giving the government the ability to kill, not murder. The government should not murder. That's unjust. That's immoral. The government should not murder people. But when it kills an offender, they're acting within the realm of God's uh, God-given authority. Killing is not the same as murder. I think that God says the government has the ability to act in those ways, and it's legitimate. That's why the Bible says that God is an avenger, or rather that they're an avenger who carries out God's wrath in verse 4. He's a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath. Think about that for a second. God's wrath. We talk about God's wrath in an eschatological sense. Eschatological means last times. We think about it in a last days kind of thing, like someday in the future, God's wrath being poured out. But here, he's using it in an immediate sense. God's wrath is being poured out on those people who refuse to obey their government. So when the government kills a man or a woman for acting in ways that violate God's law, they're acting in the realm of God's wrath. They are God's agent the Avenger, not a Marvel character, but God's in, he's saying God, God is saying that they're an Avenger to act out on my wrath in that person's life immediately. Fascinating. And yet people all over the place, you know, break the law. They should not because God will judge the offender. Do you guys ever watch those videos where uh, I think they're called like instant justice or instant karma, I think is the more 
regular time. Instant karma. I, I like seeing this because I feel like, oh, cool, he got punished. I was driving from in Costa Mesa a couple days ago, um, and it was late at night. It was late at night. I was hanging out at Diego's uh, fitting party, and um, I was in the right-hand turn lane. Okay, so imagine the right-hand turn lane, and the other lanes are straight ahead, right? So this guy, like a couple cars behind me, goes uh, around, <laughs> crazy, he goes around all the lanes and puts himself in the front of the, of the, of the lane and then makes a right-hand turn. There are some days that I pray, and there are some days I pray harder. I was like, God, just get him. God, get him. Where's the police officer? And I'm sad to tell you, he never came. <laughs> it was a bummer. I, but I thought, you know what? That's kind of what I'm talking about here. It's, it's saying, I don't care what other people are doing. I don't care what God thinks. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to make my own laws, because who cares? God says we should care, because God will judge the offender. Not only that, God also puts government in place for our human flourishing, that's why it says here, he's God's servant for your good. He's there to promote good conduct. The government is actually a good thing for us. Again, it's, if it's an inherent good, it means that God uses government for safety, for protection, for order, for harmony, for, for, for civilization to have a place to flourish. Believe it or not, humanity works best when we operate within the realms of, in, uh, of morality, Christian morality specifically. But even if the Christian moniker isn't applied to that, we still work best when we have laws to work. It's like if you, if you make, plant a garden, the garden is best when it's protected, what's, what's in an area that you have you know, gates around it and protection from animals and the elements. Uh, humanity is much the same. Think about this. How many of you guys have stopped at a traffic light and ever thought about, this traffic light is amazing. has three different colors. One that, one, <laughs> that's not the amazing part. <laughs> Or like, have you ever noticed that when the fire engine is coming by, the traffic light turns red? I've always been amazed by that. I'm like, oh, cool, the light just, it was green a second ago, and now it's red. Because the traffic, because the fire guy. <laughs> I don't want to get all technical <laughs> about how it works. But usually my first response is, man, I got somewhere to go. My light was red, or my light was green, and now it's red. But then I'm quickly reminded, oh, they're attending to an emergency. <laughs> Someone's hurt. <laughs> I should be okay with that. So the traffic lights, I mean, those, those are paid for by the government. How about this? Do you like the good roads that you drive? Some of you guys are driving. If you, if you see that the Orange County roads are nice, they're beautiful. In fact, just recently, my street got reflurried. They, they closed down my whole street, which was totally annoying, so they can reflurry it. They put that black stuff on top and make it like brand new, basically. I was, uh, when I got the notice from the government saying, hey, you got to leave at this day at this time, I was like, my roads are fine. They have another, they're great. I, they're so stable. I'm driving on them just fine. Don't do this. You're inconveniencing my life. And yet, the government is inconveniencing my life to better my life so that the road never does have an issue that needs to be, uh, to be renovated or pulled up or whatever else. The government takes care of my roads. I'm grateful for that. Anyone here like electricity? Anyone here about that? Just a few of you. Okay, great. For the, both of us who really appreciate electricity, the government oversees that. You're welcome. How about this? Parks and recreation. Anyone ever go to a park? Not the TV show. Stop that. Parks and recreation. Everyone ever go to a park? There's a lot of great parks in this area. Um, the, the trails, the places that are maintained by the park rangers, that's the government. How about this? Um, has anyone ever walked in a sidewalk and been grateful for that? No, no one's grateful for the sidewalk, except for Carrie. Carrie, thank you for being grateful for the sidewalk. Stand up, take a bow. <laughs> government. Here's the thing. God uses government to be a blessing to us. 
We don't always recognize that. We don't always think about that. But God is using it to promote human flourishing. So you and I ought to be okay with that. So God, God is using a good thing. Lastly, and something interesting too I found as I was reading through this. Paul says in verse 5, We should be in subjection. We should hupatasu not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of our conscience. That Jiminy Cricket inside of us. God says if you continue to ignore your conscience, you dull it. You, you, you make it ineffective. When I was in high school, I went to the local Ralph's on my bike. I was actually going home from school. Um, I just got done hanging out with a group of guys. We were jumping like dirt mounds on our bikes and everything. And I just started doing that. I was like, oh, this is fun. And so I thought it'd be really cool to see if I could. I want to learn how to do tricks. I want to do the fishtail and a backflip and a front flip, triple flip, you know, all the stuff that everyone does. So I went to the Ralph's. And I thought, oh, these magazines, these dirt bike off-road magazine things, like these would be really cool to have because then I could learn from them. And, um, but I was poor. I didn't have any money. So I thought, well, how do I get these magazines without paying for them? Oh, I know. I could steal them. So I had my backpack on. I remember standing behind the stand and looking around doing one of these things, you know, double take, make sure I was, I was safe without trying to look creepy and draw attention to yourself. That's, that's hard to do, right? So I had to look like I was there on purpose. Like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be here. I got money. Um, took my backpack off, put it on the ground. And, of course, I'm looking at the magazine. Oops, I dropped it. To pick it up, right? Put it back in and put it in my bag. I did that for, I don't know, three or four magazines. I leave Ralph's backpack full of magazines that I recently stolen. And even though Ralph's never caught me, and the police never got wind of that, I guess it was like 15 bucks or whatever, you know what did catch me? <laughs> it's my conscience. The whole ride home, I had that pit in my stomach of like, this is wrong. This is wrong. You know what you're doing is wrong. You better not do this. You're going to get busted. This is terrible. Don't do this. Jiminy Cricket would not stop the whole ride home. And so I got home. I emptied my backpack. I looked at them, and I was so disgusted with myself and so ashamed, I just threw them away. I couldn't enjoy them because my conscience, my God-given gift of conscience, would not let me enjoy the bad thing. And so in a similar sense, when God gives you a conscience, he's giving it to you for your good. It's not the Holy Spirit, it's different. Your conscience is a moral faculty, and you can train it to do good things and, and sound the alarm when it should, or you can train it to do bad things, ignoring it, saying, you don't own, you don't own me, let me go, I'll do what I want to do. It was a great, I mean, we can have a whole sermon about that, but the word conscience in scripture means the same thing it, me, means the same thing it does in English, with knowledge, conscience. The word in Greek is sunedesis. Soon with, dasis, knowledge, with knowledge, with knowledge. That's what it means for all of us. We all have a certain knowledge that tells us, yes, this is good, or no, this is bad, don't do this. Paul says if you, if you ignore this, you're going to be doling your conscience, and ultimately that's a bad thing, which is why it's a good thing to not dull your conscience. It's a carrot. Okay, let's continue on verse 7 here. Those are the negative consequences of breaking the law, but now we're going to look at why... Or how we should respond to that. One verse, verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them. That word pay is an imperative. You need to feel that. Paul is commanding this. Pay to all what is owed to them. And he goes four things. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. There's, the, there's our authorization to pay taxes to our government. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Christian, if, I'm, if you're a Christian, I'm talking to you. We can't do the same things that your friends do. I know it's in vogue right now to make fun of our president. And if you were a Republican in the last election, it was in vogue to make fun of that president, to dishonor him, 
to disrespect him. Wherever you fall on the political spectrum, wherever you fall on the age spectrum, this is our call as Christians to pay taxes, to pay our revenue, to give respect, to give honor to whom honor is owed. And here's the thing. God is saying you have a debt to pay. That debt needs to be paid. You need to, you owe it to them. And who's, who's the debt? Who gave you the debt? God did. God is saying everyone in this room has a debt to pay. Pay what? Uh, to pay taxes, to pay revenue, to pay respect, to pay honor. This is our call. And so here's, here's I think, the right response, young person. Point number three, you need to joyfully fulfill your civic responsibility. We should not be those people who are simply dour and sour about whoever's in office or whatever the tax rate is. Look, I know some of you guys are like, well, the tax rate is super high. I, hey, if you, if you think the tax rate's high and you want to fix that, run for office and I'll vote for you. I'm happy to do that. But we can't be the kind of people that are acting like this is terrible, the government's awful, I never want to do And sometimes there is a sense in which the government needs to be changed. I get that. American Revolution may or may not have been a sinful act, depending on who you ask. We can talk about that later. But there are some things that we, we, we can't let ourselves do and complain and bicker and whine, not the thing. When we look at all this, it looks like God is encouraging us to really enjoy and fulfill joyfully our civic responsibilities. There are some things that we don't like to do, but we learn to love them or enjoy them because of who we love. For instance, maybe your mom really loves romantic comedies. So during family movie night, you sit and watch the rom-com with her and like you hate it, but she's loving it. And so you, you love it because you love your mom, right? You love mom, you do what she wants to do. Maybe you get in the car with dad every now and then and he's playing country music again. Like, dad, I hate this song. But you, you, you listen to it. You, you might even try to like it because you loved your dad, right? Is there someone in your life that you feel that way? Maybe your mom has a cat. And so you tolerate the cat because you love your mom. You don't kick the cat when mom's not looking because you love mom. There's a lot of things that we put up with in our lives because of people that we love. Preferences, really. Well, there is a sense in which that's kind of the way it is when we look at our human government. Because we love God, we look at our human government and say, you know what, I may not appreciate all the things that they do or the way that they do it or the way that they talk, but I'm going to do what God calls me to do with them. I'm going to joyfully serve and submit to my government. So really, I want you to embrace your privilege and understand it is a responsibility. It's not just a privilege, it's both, it's a responsibility. I just saw the Spider-Man movie and they almost quoted that line, with great power comes great responsibility. It's the same idea, guys. We are in a place where we've been given a lot of freedom. We were in a democratic republic. We, We get to vote, we get to have a voice. It's not a loud voice, but we get to have a voice. We have an opportunity to serve our community by voting in just and moral laws. You get to take political science. You get to take American government, a push. You get to do, take classes that help you understand what our government's about, and that's a good thing. You know, one of those, I was reading this week, the Constitution, and we're the First Amendment. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. You've heard that one quite a bit lately. That's, that's in the press all the time, it seems. Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Which is to say, yeah, the federal government can't establish a, a government religion. We can't have a religion that all of us have to adhere to. But it cannot prohibit the free exercise thereof. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that my government does not make it impossible for me to be a Christian in 21st century America. Our, our, our laws make that a possibility. That is a privilege and a responsibility that comes along with that. Some of you guys are about to graduate. and You're about to enter the real world. You're in the real world right now. But the responsibility goes way up. I get that. You can't take this and just toss it to the side and say, I'll deal with that later. This is the now you live in. This is the reality you are, that you're given. This is, this is awesome. 
This is awesome. This is an awesome privilege and responsibility. You should not take it lightly. Which means at the very least, let me just give you this practical takeaway here. You should get to know your elected officials. Um, If you live in Aliso Viejo, does anyone know who the mayor of Aliso Viejo is? I will give you, Brian Zutel will give you money if you know the answer to this. (gasps) Brian, you owe her money. (laughs) He's got a quarter. Thank John, you get a quarter. Yeah, Ross Chun. So you got some different people underneath that. Those are the kind of people that you should know. You, you, you probably didn't vote for them unless you happen to be over 18 and you're part of the last election. But it's still, these are the people that God has placed in, in, in charge of you. Uh, anyone here from Mission Viejo? I got some Mission Viejo names in there. Who's the mayor of Mission Viejo? It's not Ross Chun. Brian, give her some money. Oh, wait, did you say Ed Sachs or Greg? You, you said Ed Sachs, didn't you? Anyway, these are the people that you should know. And is there anyone in that list that looks vaguely familiar to you? There's a person in there by the name of Patricia Kelly that goes to Compass. What, what? And get this. Does that last name look familiar to you at all? Pastor Mark's mom. Snap. (laughs) So at the very least, you should be looking at these people and caring about them because one of them comes to compass. But these are the people that are charged to help run our society smoothly, to make our system work. And that's not easy. There's a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of different things that make it really hard to do that. But here, at the very least, and what do you do with that here? You should be praying for your government leaders. Pray for them. Your president, your vice president, your, your mayors, your, your elected officials, pray for them. That's what the Bible tells us to do. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, give us explicit and clear instructions as to why we should do this. We should pray for our government leaders. Look at this. Uh, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, when he uses the word all there, he's qualifying it. Look at the verse 2. All people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and get this part. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who, verse 4, desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's, verse 4 is a fascinating verse, and I'll tell you why. Because it seems like Paul is making a connection. Here, I'll just show you. Paul is making a connection between the peace that we experience, uh, kings and I lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified. He's making a connection between this and this. He's saying that in some way, when we're able to live unrestrained in our Christianity, that's going to have an impact on people being saved. When we can have a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified, this allows full expression of our Christianity. No one is breaking into the doors right now saying, you can't meet, this is illegal. No one is taking your Bible and throwing it on the floor and burning it saying, you can't have this, this is legal literature. Propaganda, you can't have this. No one is holding a gun to your head and saying, are you a Christian? If you are, I'm going to kill you. No one is doing that. And I think what's happening here is Paul is saying there's a a relationship between a good government and Christians being good witnesses. Now, we can be good witnesses in persecutions, and that happens a lot throughout history. But he's saying also at the same time, when the government is running well, when we're praying for these people and we're able to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified, that's going to have an effect on who comes to faith in Christ. Amazing. You should be praying. You should be praying. And he says, I urge you to pray. Pray and offer thanksgiving for these people that are over us. Okay. In Tennessee, it is illegal to share your Netflix password. Do you know that? So don't do it. 
I wonder if you can share your Netflix password in California with someone in Tennessee. Okay, here, get this. In Rhode Island, biting off someone's limb will result in one to 20 years in prison. <laughs> one to 20. So if you bite off someone's leg, I guess, it's more. Bite off just a hand, it's less. In Utah, and this is specifically, if you're going to STM Utah, this is for you. In Utah, it's illegal not to drink milk. So you have to. So every meal, lactose intolerance. doesn't say, guys, there's no stipulation for lactose intolerance. In Vermont, women must obtain permission from their husbands to wear false teeth. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I, I don't make the laws, I just read them. And lastly, in Oklahoma, it is illegal to wrestle a bear. So in case you were ever tempted to do that, can't wrestle a bear. Sometimes the law that God puts in place for us to follow may seem silly, outdated, or just like it doesn't work, God. And obeying and submitting to our authorities might be one of those things that you felt in the last several weeks that we've been covering this. But let me tell you, when we obey God's laws, things are always better for us. It's good, it's right, and it leads to your flourishing and the flourishing of everyone else around you. I hope the last several weeks were helpful to you because this is important. And I, I'm praying that you really understand that Christians are in general, we esteem authority because God is an authority giving God. He likes it, he institutes it, and it's for us, it's for our benefit. Let's pray.